to chapter 2 and invite you to turn with me to that, to, to that passage, uh, Haggai chapter 2. And I've got an issue with my leg, so I'm going to be sitting down while I read and preach, so no disrespect intended. Verses 1 through 9, Haggai, the second chapter. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It is not as nothing, is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains uh, in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the nations and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, pray with me. Lord, we are um, bowing before you, humbled And asking for the encouragement of your gospel in our hearts uh, from this scripture, we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be honored, would be lifted up, and would warm our hearts so that we may serve him with more diligence. Holy Spirit, awaken us, open our eyes, enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know you better. Know the hope to which you've called us and know the great power that you have for those who believe, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, at the end of the exile, the end of Judah and Benjamin's exile, uh, in 538, um, the Spirit moved in the heart, in the life of Cyrus the Great, to free the Jews to return to to Jerusalem. He called them and equipped them to rebuild the temple. Now, we want, as we look at at these passages, dipping into chapter 1 for a moment and then in chapter 2, we want to see obstacles to the work that they had. We want to also see that this is God's work. 
And we want finally to see that there is great blessing promised. Yes, there are obstacles. But it is God's work. And there are great promises. The obstacles, of course, do cause discouragement. And for the people, uh, as they were uh, embarking on their work to rebuild the temple, found themselves more interested in building their own houses than the house of the Lord. And, And the statement is even made, is it time for you to live in paneled houses while the temple lies in ruins? The Lord is speaking uh, to the people and he is identifying for them the problem of worldliness, which is a great demotivator um, in the work of the kingdom of God. And, and, then, and then the Lord explains, would you do some troubleshooting in your lives? Figure things out. Let me, let me spell this out for you. Do you wonder why you have sown so much and harvest so little? Do you wonder why you are eating and not getting full? Do you wonder why you're drinking and you are still thirsty? Do you wonder why you are making money and putting them in, putting the money in bags and the bags are emptying as the coins dribble behind you? Worldliness is a great demotivator, and the Lord is calling them up short to examine their lives. That wasn't the only problem, though. The other problem was that they were, the neighbors were taunting them and discouraging them. Uh, they were intimidating uh, the rebuilders to the point where some were sent back to the, the, um, to Darius in, in the, in the land of Babylon there, and was seeking to turn them against the rebuilders. And so our Jewish friends there lost their nerve for a while, laid down their trowels, and just quit. Some of them were describing another obstacle and another problem. They looked at the foundation of the temple that they were building, And they were remembering Solomon's temple. Same dimensions, same location, but none of the gold. And and they said, look at what we're doing here. This has no comparison, no comparison uh, to Solomon's temple. And worse yet, do you remember that the Spirit had departed Solomon's temple? The book of Ezekiel explains that. The Spirit departed. Well, those are the three obstacles that are facing the rebuild. And yet, Cyrus has given great prophetic insight um, when he said that the glory of God is in Jerusalem. (laughs) Cyrus given that prophetic insight. The glory of God is in Jerusalem. God dwelled with his people in the tent, of course. And this looks forward, very clearly looks forward to our Lord Jesus Christ. For God, he is God made flesh, and he tabernacled, he dwelled among us. The presence of God. Christ, of course, then was the new temple, and we are in him. And Paul says we are that spirit-filled temple in which God dwells in the midst of a land of darkness. 
And God, through the Holy Spirit, calls us to partner with him and face the same set of obstacles. Now, first of all, our houses (laughs) drain time and money, don't they? Oftentimes, keeping us from involvement with the kingdom of God. And the world still taunts us. We are swimming against a tsunami of wickedness. And the gospel seems small and ill-equipped to handle the darkness that we see around us. And some of us might miss the good old days of Christianity's dominance, or at least the Christian memory that allowed some semblance of moral consensus, which, of course, is gone now. People in this region as well remember with fondness George Whitfield preaching down the street where we gather once a year and preach in that old building on the same site. And we remember the stories about the, the coal miners who are weeping as the gospel is preached and there are white tracks of their tears through the black coal dust on their face and we say, oh, the spirit was alive then, implying he's not now. Missing the good old days. And with those obstacles still, we say, no, no, this is God's work. And the Lord here says that that he calls us to work, and then he says, for I work with you. Work, for I work with you. In verse 4, they were afraid because... uh, the glory cloud, the chavod, had, the glory of God had departed. And God is saying in his presence that the glory is back. My spirit is with you. And it's in you. And so they worked while God worked for them. Could there be any more powerful inducement for us to attempt difficult things than to say, God is with us. And it's actually His work. And I cannot fail, because God is with us. And so the Spirit and the power of God in action is against every one of Satan's obstacles. Now, God God is working with you. One one application here. I I want to sit on this for a moment. Consider in your own life and consider in your church What one thing God is calling you to do that you can't do on your own? Let's just sit right there. What one thing is God calling you to do that you know you cannot do on your own? Maybe it's getting um, the conversation with your neighbors into the direction of matters of the heart listening for things that your neighbor is saying about discontentment, listening to things that even make your neighbor angry so that you are able to minister something of the presence and the grace and the reality of Jesus, perhaps just in your own life. But that would be a step for you to share Jesus with an unbeliever. Number two, 
what do you think about inviting a neighbor into a Bible study that you are holding? A growth group, as we have in this church. Other Bible studies, again, we have here, and I'm sure you do as well. But to invite a neighbor um, into a fellowship where the Bible can be opened and read in a probing way that allows for questions about the nature of God and the beauty of Jesus. What do you think about that? That's something that you may think, oh, I can't do that. Well, God is at work. One, one thing you, you can certainly do is give generously to missions. We encourage that, of course. Another, another thing would be to commit yourself, along with a friend, to pray for revival in your own hearts and in your family and in your church. To pray not just about the people who are ill around you, which is a good thing to do, but to pray specifically for the Spirit's work to bring a sense of revival and refreshment in the Gospel. If you don't like the word revival, refreshment in the Gospel. How about this one? Remember when when, when Peter was... Uh, Commissioning, or at least affirming Paul's ministry, um, he said, remember the poor. Paul's reciting this in, in uh, Galatians chapter 2. Peter says to Paul, remember the poor. And, and Paul almost snorts and says, well, that's exactly the thing that we are going to do anyway. Like, why did he even have to tell me that? We're committed to that. Is there a way in which you can be engaged with the poor for the sake of the gospel? God commands us, uh, to, in, throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, God commands us to move towards four different demographics. One of them is widows. One of them is orphans. Um, one of them is, is um, um, the poor. And the other is sojourners. Sojourners. People who didn't grow up here, but maybe grew up in Ukraine or in Afghanistan. I want to tell you a story. I've told stories about my sister in Iowa before. I'll never run out of telling stories of my sister in Iowa. She and a group of her friends in this little town of Sioux Center, Iowa, uh, were moved by the Spirit to conspire together, people from several different churches, to sponsor uh, a refugee family from Afghanistan. And this work started around six months ago. They met together, they, uh, they identified the obstacles, they identified the needs, and then they prayed that the Lord would immobilize the entire small town of Sioux Center, no, not Sioux Center, that's where she used to be. Uh, Sioux, Sioux, so it is Sioux Center, it is Sioux Center, sorry. There's another Sioux Falls, Sioux Center. They got these churches together in Sioux Center, and they were all ready to pulled the trigger on getting a, a family from Afghanistan. They would be living right down the street from one of my nephews. Two houses down from one of my, one of my cool Iowa nephews. And lo and behold, uh, their mission was diverted. And this week, a family from Ukraine arrived in the town of Sioux Center, Iowa. They have a place to live. They have work. They have a network of friends who are praying for them and caring for them. They are getting a taste of life without violence. They're having an opportunity to restore their worlds. 
in that in that uh, quiet town in Iowa. Remember the poor, Peter said to Paul. That's the very thing I was eager to do. You can't handle that. Perhaps God would have you do that. And then finally, the blessings. The blessings are promised. You've got big obstacles, but the blessings are promised. Look with me at verse 7. Um, Shake the nations and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. God uh, here uh, is, is shaking the nations to shake loose gold, silver, building products for his temple. Um, Cyrus started it by bankrolling the reconstruction to begin it, to begin it. But then he says, I'll fill this house with glory, the riches of the nations. And then he says, the best days are ahead of you. You've got this scrawny little, little shack that you're putting up, but the best days are ahead. The latter glory of the temple will be greater than the former glory. Solomon's temple was fabulous. What I'm doing is even greater. The new temple, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ as he dwells among us. And this building, this temple, is built on the foundation of the Lord and his word. This new temple is being erected, the temple of the church. It is filled with the Holy Spirit. And where are the treasures? Where are the treasures that God is providing for this temple? It is not the nation's gold. It is the nation's themselves. God is adorning the new temple with latter-day glory as new people are joined to the church. And this is one of the things that excites me about what we're doing tonight. There is a new wing of the temple in Nigeria. (laughs) A new wing just sprung up by the power of the Spirit. I believe it was Nigeria. Richard will correct me if I'm wrong. But there was a village there that was given over entirely to the Islamic faith. And not long ago, the entire village was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now they speak the name of Jesus. That is the glory of the nations beautifying the church. They are turning to Jesus, the great I Am. The Spirit is beautifying the church as he brings the nations in as the gold and the silver to adorn that church. Another one, person by the name of Abigail. And Abigail was being, confront, was, uh, was being undone by her sin. She says, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm done. There is no hope. I have so much blood on my hands. And she, was, she mentioned, she referenced the seven abortions that she had had. Enough of the Spirit left in her, working in her, to convict her of that. Her, her um, assessment was, surely Jesus can't forgive me. 
but she met Jesus in all his forgiveness and comfort. God is adorning his temple. Finally, look at the last verse. In this place I will give peace. In this place I will give peace. When we look at the turmoil in our society, when we look at the turmoil in Africa and across the world, there is no other alternative, no other source for lasting and sustained peace than the reign of the Prince of Peace. And so we pray, bring peace to us, to our neighborhood, to our country, to the countries of Africa. And the Spirit said the obstacles are not too high because it is my work, the Lord says, to bring about the conviction and the converting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here uh, the kingdom progressing. We see the kingdom progressing because the latter glory will be more powerful and delightful than the former glory. We do also see the final shaking of the nations in judgment. That's the final one. But there also we see the glory of the reigning king. Here's my challenge to all of us. Be aware of the obstacles. Be aware of the obstacles, not naive. But remember, it is the Lord's work. He fills us. He's doing the working. And remember the promises. He is a powerful, converting, regenerating God. And he will help the likes of people of you and me. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for these encouraging words from uh, the prophet. We are grateful that you are an honest God. You interact with our sense of, of futility and weakness. You even help us identify the obstacles, but then point to yourself as the one who works through them and how we love the promises. How we, how we grasp this promise that you will shake all nations so their treasures, the treasures of their lives, will fill your house. We pray your blessing upon the rest of our, our program this evening that it would be for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.